As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 152 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm cold. It's a very rainy day here. Yeah. In Cleveland. I'm not complaining. No. I am a, you know, talked endlessly about my love of fall. Fall is here with gusto this week. Yes, it is. It's been very rainy and chilly, so. But no, I'm good. And it's, we're recording this on a Friday, which is always nice. Um, So yeah, no, no complaints here. Um, how have you been? Good. Good. Just I know we already said that. Busy week. I know. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. I, I said, I talked to someone about this yesterday. I don't know why we had Monday off for Labor Day. It always feels like the the short weeks feel longer to me. Agreed. And of course, crazy busy because we lost a day. But yeah. that's okay. No complaints. Um, I suppose I should be the one to talk about this episode since I did the interview. Uh, today's interview episode is with Adrian Walker. Uh, he is an Australian author who, so originally from Australia, lives in the UK now. His first book was called The End of the World Running Club. Uh, and then his next book, which is now available, I believe, by the time this comes out, is called The Last Dog on Earth. Uh, so we talked about both of those books, um, he was one of those people where when we met each other before we started recording, we instantly hit it off. He's like, he's really into running. Check. He's really into dogs. <laughs> Check. And he's obviously really into reading. So we, we, we became buddies. But we talk about both books um, because of the way publishing works. Uh, for a while, it was if you're in America, it was tough to get the end of the world running club. But that's available here as well. And then with The Last Dog on Earth also want to talk about that so um, talked a lot about like dystopian type novels because both of them are a bit of a uh, like apocalypse type of a situation nice uh, but I would highly recommend both of his books they're really really good so, um, and follow him on Twitter because he shares lots of fun <laughs> stuff he and I actually were talking the other day about um, speaking of the end of the world running club like I said, he's a runner uh, I saw this person finished the there's like a Appalachian Trail one of the most famous trails in America mm-hmm. and um, on average the people who run it say that you should give yourself five to six months to complete this trail it's massive uh, a guy just set a, a world record because he completed it in um, like six weeks so Adrian and I were talking about that on Twitter back and forth which is crazy to me yeah this has a the, the guy averaged like 60 miles a day do you remember who it is off the top of my head, I don't. I'll send it once you stop recording. I'll send you the Runner's World article. But 
The guy did 60 miles a day yeah, of like that's what running and hiking in tri- it was crazy. And so we talked about that a little bit, not during the podcast because it just happened and I did this interview back in New York and <laughs> at BEA. So um yeah, I I really hope you guys enjoy this. He's a lot of fun and um his books are really really good, which is always helpful. If people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds, and they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, and I want to thank everyone for listening in to the Nancy Pro episode. It already has a lot of downloads, which I'm not surprised because she's amazing. Um, so we'll have her back more. We will indeed. Because we're buddies now. So, um, yeah. Anything else you can think of? No. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Adrian Walker on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, this is Adam from Team Overdrive at BEA and today I'm joined by Adrian J. Walker who was born in the mid-70s near Sydney, Australia. After his father found a camper van in a ditch, he renovated it and moved his family back to the UK where Adrian was raised. Adrian is the author of the incredible post-apocalyptic thriller, End of the World Running Club, and has a new book coming out later this summer called The Last Dog on Earth. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I want to start by talking about The End of the World Running Club just a little bit. So for our listeners who haven't had a chance to read it yet, can you just give them maybe a brief introduction to the story? Okay, yeah, The End of the World Running Club is about uh, a guy called Ed, uh, and when we meet Ed, he's, he's not in the best state. He's, uh, he's married, he's got two kids, but he, he's not really big on his life. You know, he, finds, he finds his job hard, his marriage gives him vertigo, uh, and he's, he's pretty down. So um, it takes the end of the world to kind of shake him up, uh, and the, uh, the book's set in Edinburgh, I should have said, and the, all of the United Kingdom is hit by a devastating asteroid strike. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ed survives just about with his family um, and by happenstance he becomes separated from them by about 500 miles Uh, and his family are about to be evacuated uh, out of the country and he has only two weeks to get to them so in order to do that he has to run and uh, Ed's not a natural runner I would say so uh, yeah it's about his journey about learning how to run and learning how to uh, appreciate what he has so I have a bunch of questions about Edgar and a whole and a lot of what goes out in the book. But, but the the part that struck me initially, I'm a I'm a distance runner myself. All right. Yeah. So are you a runner and do you have that in your background or is that something that I am? Yeah. Okay. And I was really getting into running uh, when I started writing writing the book. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to write something about running because mm-hmm. it was having quite a big you know, effect on me. Yeah. You know. um, uh, yeah. I haven't. I've run two marathons. That's about the, the distance. Oh, wow, that's incredible. But nothing nothing above that. Well, I think. You don't have to be modest about that. It's 26.2 miles. I mean, it's... They weren't pretty. They weren't pretty miles. You know what? As long as you... Actually, a little bit before this, I ran a half marathon with my brother-in-law, and okay. it, was, uh, it was the same thing, like miles 11 or 12. He's, he's like, what's our pace? And I was like, I don't think it matters anymore. Let's just get to the finish line. Um, so when you first started running, were you kind of going through the same things that Edgar was going through with the, like... Because if you first start, when you're like, I'm going to run a, a 5K, 10K, yeah. whatever it is, those first few weeks are, are miserable or you kind of go into that same yeah exactly and I think actually I, I didn't realize until I was well into writing the book how much of um, uh, an analogy if you like for a runner's journey that the whole edge journey Absolutely. is you know, because it takes such a long time to get yourself out of that pit yeah he starts basically starts the book in the cellar mm-hmm. uh, and he gets himself out and gets himself going and, and uh, 
it, it, it takes a long time until you realise his benefits of running it right. and actually what it can do for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely, there's definitely that. That's, that's so interesting. I I have so many people that ask me, like, well, how do you run so so many like, at such and such amount of miles? I'm like, why well, didn't start day one and be like, you know what I'm gonna go do? Yeah. 17 miles. That yeah, sounds like a wonderful yeah. idea. <laughs> So this book has everything from you know, asteroids to kind of like an on-the-road adventure, mystery, dystopia. It's It could be classified as a lot of things, but for me, I think it's a lot about Edgar's redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you describe the story that you've created? Like what I guess, genre would you put it in if you could? It's hard because I, I've never really set out to write in a genre. Right. Um, I find myself attracted to books uh, that ask what if, mm-hmm. uh, speculative fiction, I guess you could call it. Um, but I always have been fascinated by end-of-the-world scenarios yeah. and, and books that, that tell those stories. I think mostly, not because of the spectacle of, of, the, of the end of the world, although that is interesting to read, mostly because when you take um, you take a, a, a scene and, and wipe it clean almost mm-hmm. at the end of the world, you can really explore a, a character because they have no dust. You know, yeah. No dust to get in their, in their way, you mm-hmm. know, the dust of normal life. So for Ed, he really is literally running across an empty, barren mm-hmm. landscape. Uh, and yet he still has to cope with what's going on in his head at yeah. the same time. So, yeah, I think definitely a redemption story. You said that you like these kind of end-of-the-world type of stories. Mm-hmm. And your next title is called The Last Dog on Earth. So yeah. the naming convention is a little close. I know. Are the books connected in any way, or is it just it kind of worked out for you? They're connected in, in, in terms of the fact that it is... Um, not so much an end of the world, but it's, it's about social down, downfall. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, there's been no big event or apocalypse, but you know things are really mm-hmm. down at heel in, in London this time. Uh, and it is about an interesting character, uh, very different to Ed, mm-hmm. who has to uh, do something. Uh, but it's also narrated part by a dog. Uh, and that's that's because I own a dog, and I've been quite upset by dogs for the last two years. Yeah, I was just gonna say I have to tell you I am a owner of two dogs. Oh, right. I'm borderline obsessed with. Well, borderline. I'm not even gonna say borderline. I'm obsessed with my yeah, dogs. Um, we landed here in New York City yesterday. My wife and I, within like minutes, we're seeing dogs in the street. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I miss our dogs. But I'm always a little apprehensive as a dog owner to read a book about a dog. Yeah. So, is this book gonna rip my heart out? I'm gonna leave that for you. Oh um, man. <laughs> no, no, it's it's. Um, I won't give away any of the ending. Yeah. But it's. I, I've read a few books where there's been a dog narration, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you know, I've, I've I've loved most most of those books. Uh, I think what what was missing a lot of the time is an actual genuine voice of mm-hmm. a dog, and having spent a lot of time with my dog. Yeah. They're not so much for me the, the kind of noble, wise animals that, that people think. That they're yeah. Dirty animals. Yeah. yeah. They do dirty things. <laughs> so I wanted to to put a voice in that dog was a mm-hmm. bit more. Um, bit more genuine um, and I, I I live in South London and I spend a lot of time in the parks around there my dog plays with the dogs mm-hmm. so I've watched them how they they work together so um, Lineker is the name of the dog in this book and he's 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 basically a, an East End rough yeah cockney dog that's uh, that's just, amazing yeah so it is interesting to see spending so much time you know with your dog and said same thing with my dogs like you learn these little like ticks about them where like yeah. they'll be staring at you a certain way yeah. and we'll have friends over and I'll be like, oh, he wants dinner. I'm like, how do you know that? I'm like, I just, I just do. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. You're like, yeah. he wants to sit in your spot. I don't move for him, but that's why, that's why he's pouting to you. Like, right. you these little... They believe that they can talk to you through the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the having telepathy. So and the longer just... that they like look at you, you tend to be like, 
Oh, okay, this is the thing you want. Maybe it's just easier just to give it to you. That's good. So do you run with your dogs? I do, yeah. So I have a, a Weimaraner and a Vizsla, Ooh. so the very long-legged. My dog is almost the perfect cross of those two. That's, yeah. is, it a, a, is it a mix? It's a rescue. We've, we've no mm -hmm. idea, but she looks like a Vizsla and she plays with this as well. Yeah, so. our, um, my Vizsla is, uh, I've never seen a dog, I tell people, I've never seen a dog go from zero to 100 back to zero like he does. Yeah. He, he runs hot. Uh, he will lose his mind and he'll want to sprint and then as soon as we go back home he'll pass out but our wine runner is a perfect pace dog yeah. I don't even need to put a leash on him he just stays right next That's to me cool. so yeah, yeah. They're, they've, been, they've been motivated when I don't really want to go out and run those last couple of miles um, do you run with your dog? I try to yeah but, but similarly she either is all or nothing you know, it's just fast yeah. or slow so my pace kind of annoys her a bit uh -huh. uh, I think she just stops after a while wonders what I'm doing mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah I try to yeah um, so I find it interesting that you wrote this book about, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic world where technology is obviously hard to come by, and your next book seems to have a little bit of the, the same situation, but at the same time, your bio discusses that you have a love for technology personally since you were younger, so I have kind of a two-parter. Yeah. I know that you've written a book called Colors that does have the tech world involved, but it goes more into the mindset of writing stories without technology, like, I guess just when you plan, are you planning on writing things that are more tech-related because you have that background, or do you actively stay away from that in your books? I think it's uh, an interesting question. I've not thought about that before. Um, I think what I'm finding is I either write uh, a book which is heavily, or I think about books or plan books that are heavily tech-oriented, mm -hmm. so like you say, Colors is, is pretty, pretty tech-oriented, um, or ones in which there is none mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that comes from the fact that I, I have I, I used to be a software developer and then you know into, into that kind right. of thing um, but maybe I did too much of that mm -hmm. and I wanted to distance myself from, from the technology and also because of the the speed at which technology is going at the moment is sometimes quite overwhelming yeah uh, and if you get too too immersed in it, um, it, it you know, can do funny things to your head I think so maybe it's a bit of a catharsis for me to just remove myself from yeah. and uh, you know, go back to the basics. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point because I think a lot of times when people learn about an author and then they'll read their background and they'll see what, what they've done for a living prior to writing books, they have an expectation of, oh, he's in the, the tech world, mm -hmm. this is clearly what he's going to write about. Yeah. So, yeah. But they, you know, as a, a reader, you might not think about the fact that like, Adrian spent all day every day in the tech world, yeah, probably the last yeah. thing he wants to do when he gets home is probably write about that. That's true, and I think a lot of writers are like that. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of writers who are uh, software developers as well, and that thing. For me, I think I'm, I'm far more interested in uh, the effect that technology will have on us socially mm -hmm. and individually than the technology itself. I mean, I think we are now in the future, and you know, we're seeing incredible things happen every day. It's, it's unstoppable. So. Mm -hmm. It's not like we need to think too much about that anymore because it's happening already. Right. Uh, I'm more interested in how, how you know, it's affecting us as, as, a, as a species. What, um, what were you doing in, in the software kind of tech industry before you started writing? I was uh, a web developer, <laughs> um, so yeah, sitting down. Lots and lots of coding. Yeah. And, yeah. I still miss it. I do like that. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I started that when I was about 15, just in my bedroom. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of got drawn to writing as well yeah yeah we like to joke at our company our our main offices are made up of two two floors and it's almost like a, a down, downtown navy upstairs downstairs situation because all of our coders and app developers everything they're all on the downstairs the floor yeah. and then all of us 
talkers, all of the people who are in charge of selling content and promoting, we're all upstairs. So it's this hilarious, it's almost like we have two different companies. Everyone yeah. gets along really well, but I'll go down there and it's like being in a different world because it's, I wish I understood coding and everything like that, but it's just an entirely different language. And then they'll come up and they'll look at what we're doing. They're like, I have no idea how you write an advertisement like that. I'm like, well, the feeling is mutual. It is. I mean, there is that definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there is this small little nugget in your biography that touched on really briefly in our intro, but I, I want to kind of dive more into it. Sure. You mentioned your father fixing up a camper and then moving you guys back to the UK. Yeah. So obviously you can't move from Australia to London in a van. No. So that's I guess it's a fairly romanticized version of the event. Okay, so that was going to be my question was, did you guys spend a lot of time in a camper? Did it play a part, of, a part in your youth? Or just maybe give me no, some, he, some information well, on my, that. My dad's quite, um, quite keen to point out it wasn't a camper van. It was a transit van, I think, which was a, you know, an open-top thing. Um, but he, he did find it. I mean, we, we were... My dad had moved out there before I was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, he travelled about quite a bit. Uh, and my sister and I were born out... Um, in what is now a very big suburb of Sydney, but was then then was just bush country. Mm-hmm. So uh, we started life in that kind of, that kind of world. Um, but to get back, we had to fly from the other side of Australia for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> strange things in my family, but um, I think my dad just wanted to drive across the. the oh desert. yeah, absolutely. So he, he found this thing, and he's quite good with, with engines, uh, and he built it all. He put a. Uh, an improvised uh, air conditioning unit in the front, which was sackcloth filled with water. <laughs> this is in the Australian desert as well. And I'm a baby. Oh my <laughs> god! It's like what, 110 degrees, oh, yeah. 115 it's degrees. Fairly irresponsible parenting. But um, no, he made it, and he went across the Nullarbor, uh, mm-hmm. Nullarbor Desert, which is the desert that Harvey runs across in the in the book. Right. So um, yeah, probably a little bit of a, a link there between the book and, and that. Is that adventure. something that you would ever consider doing yourself? Kind running of, across the desert? Well, not running across the <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's a poorly asked question. You're right. Um, you know, kind of taking like a, like a camper van or you know, yeah, a transit I, van. Yeah, I did actually. I went back to Australia um, about 10, 12 years ago mm-hmm. and I drove the other way. So I, I, I drove the coast, almost completed the journey. Yeah. Like. So I drove up the, the west coast and the north back down to Sydney yes. so technically I have gone around the entire that is incredible yeah that is I, I we did that my wife and I were in uh, on Maui in Hawaii and we did oh, that right. in one day in Maui and we felt like superheroes but it's a tiny tiny island it's yeah. nothing compared to going all the way around it's just incredible it's amazing you'd think it would be boring but it's not I mean the landscape is yeah incredible. there's so much that's the thing like and even when people talk about driving across the United States and then you hear someone else say like well why would you want to do that and there's so much to see yeah. there's so much that there's so much in any country, Australia, the United States, the, yeah. the UK, there's so much that you don't ever see if you're just flying over it. And yeah, so, right. this. yeah. Um, so when you were in the UK and you were growing up, what were some of the books or authors that you were a fan of or maybe that inspired you? Um, I think probably the first book I can remember really liking was The Phantom Tolkien, which yes. I think was quite a big, uh, big deal for kids. Um, and then through my teens with Stephen King, um, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah. was the first book I laughed out loud at on the first page, and that, that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. That ability to make, just in a single sentence, to make to make someone laugh, yeah. just amazing. Um, so those two definitely. Um, and as I grew up, um, I got into Glenn Duncan, 
Zadie Smith as well, yes. um, Tom Robbins, I was beginning to talk about this for a while. So quite a mix of UK and US authors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my co-host, who isn't here traveling with me today, but she's a huge Stephen King fan. Right. So what were some of the Stephen King books that you were a fan of? I think, let me see, the first one was Carrie I read. Okay. Um, and again, I remember all the little, um, how would you say Parts where he throws aside the rule book and, and just you know stops a sentence mid sentence, mm-hmm. does a train of thought. You know, right. That, I love that, and yeah. that was the first time I read something like that. So Carrie definitely Salem's Lot really stuck with me, uh, and then The Shiny obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the the one that I, I really like is uh, is it Key? Uh, one of the later ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really that really stuck with me. That, that I, I think that was in my twenties when I read that one. But yeah. It's astonishing the amount of authors who have told us basically Stephen King was where I got my start and like they'll tell us we've had several people tell us like yeah when I was 9 or 10 I read It and I'm like where were your parents yeah <laughs> we had several people tell us that. like well I was down in the basement and I was reading It I was like first off you're 10 years old and that's a thousand page book yeah second off that's the most terrifying entity oh, yeah. in all of literature in my mind and learning as a 9 or 10 year old so God it's, bless you guys for your early Stephen King love. No, I mean, I, I, I think um, I think it's so common because because the writing is so vivid, mm-hmm. and when you're that age, you know, it really grips you. That, that mm-hmm. kind of you don't have to try with it. So a thousand page book doesn't yeah. feel like a thousand pages because it's a journey. It's taking on a journey. Yeah, I never felt myself having to try reading it. Reading yeah. It. Um, so speaking of inspiration, on your website you have this incredibly touching tribute to Chris Cornell that you just wrote yep. over the past couple of weeks since he just recently passed away. Um, there's been a few times when I, as I was reading it, I, I was going through the same emotions that you were describing, because I think I've had it a few times, uh, most recently when Alan Rickman and Gene Wilder passed uh-huh. away, because yeah. their movies were things that I literally grew up watching mm-hmm. when I was a child, and I, I had this strange thought while I was reading this incredible blog post you wrote, because it's like, we have this, these connections to these people that mm. we've never met, yep. but they have this incredible talent and this, like, otherworldly ability to connect with people what do you think it is about entertainers and an author you know the majority of people will read you know your book and they might fall in love with it but they may never have a chance to meet you but they'll feel like they they know a piece of you so mm-hmm. do you think it's just the escapism that these people give us or no, i guess what is it i, I think um First of all, I'm not really drawn to writing blog posts generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think I, I would I would like to write a lot more on my blog, but I, I only really do what I'm really drawn to do. So mm-hmm. when Chris Cornell died, it was it was quite a big, really really hit me for right. for a few days. Still is really, um, and I think I thought a lot about it. And uh, actually, Stephen King in his book on writing talks about how writing is really telepathy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 a, it's an act of art, you know, yeah. magic. You're writing down some scribbles. That is supposed to, you know, put an image into someone's head, mm-hmm. and if you do it right, you get the right image. Yeah. Um, so I think the goal of any type of art, whether that's you know, performance or music or, or, or writing, is to create a resonance with someone. Right. It's basically just to tell them that what you're feeling, what you're feeling, is mm-hmm. the same as the other person, right? so whether it's about life or, or, or anything. Um, and I think when you do that properly, which people like Chris Cornell did for me and, and like Alan Rickman for you, and yeah. books, it really sticks with you because uh, it creates a resonance and that, that never goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what, what really affected me, certainly from last year with all the celebrity deaths and, and Chris Cornell this year, was 
it's not really just that, that connection that you're missing, it's the fact that are we creating enough people these days that will, that will do that for our kids? Right. Um, as we have done in the last sort of 30 years, like yeah. all these people are dying and we're, you know, do we have anything to replace them with? You know, mm-hmm. that, I think that's the point of the point. And then, from an author standpoint, because like I said, you, you have the ability, you know, I'm lucky, I get to sit down with people like you in a yeah. long form for you know half hour, 45 minutes and, and chat. Most people will come up to you who've read your book and it'll be a book signing and they get 90 seconds with you and yeah. they'll they'll tell you know maybe they'll tell you because they f- they feel the same kind of connection that we feel with these respective people but they feel it to you do you ever get used to having people kind of tell you like this book meant so much to me or like these things that people say to you and as an author who has you know you're there's another person behind them that's going to say a similar thing but you have to be genuine like do you ever get used to those interactions with people i am not uh, i'm not famous enough to be over that yet completely. <laughs> so whenever it happens, it's generally touching. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do get a fair amount of emails from people um, saying that the book was, you know, very important to them. Mm-hmm. There was actually one, one or two that really stuck with me, and, and one was a lady who lives in the mid- Midwest of America, who she said had read the book and decided to walk across America, and she said this is no mean feat because she, you know, she's quite ill uh, and oh she had God. a lot of animals that were ill and they were going to come with her. So I was first of all said, "Oh, that's amazing!" And then I started worrying about it, thinking, "What have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I should check if she's all right. So I followed the journey, and she did this blog of when she was going across across that's America. That's incredible. And, uh, I think I think she made it, but yeah, that was that was pretty touching. Yeah. Um, and she said the book had inspired her to do that. So that was that was amazing. That's yeah. wonderful. No, I, know, I don't get tired of doing that if it's a genuine, um, yeah, genuine resonance. Yeah. Um, so when you aren't writing or you know promoting books, things like this, how do you like to spend your time? Um, I run. Uh, I've, I've got a dog, uh, like, like you said, so that takes up a lot of my time. I've got mm-hmm. kids as well to look after. Uh, if I'm not doing that, I, I play guitar. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've always been a guitarist, so, so I spend the time. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so towards the end of our podcast, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine. It's just nine. We call them rapid-fire questions. They never end up being that way okay. because we get chatty in between all of them. Um, but they're lighthearted. Nothing intense, okay. I promise you. Uh, so the first one is, what's the last book you finished? Last book finished? Um... Homo Deus by Noah Yuval. Do you have a favorite place to read? Um, generally in the chair downstairs. Yeah. Um, do you have a, what you would consider a guilty pleasure? Like I always tell everyone, mine is, speaking of my dogs, like if you were to go to my Instagram account, it's just an obsessive amount of pictures of them. Pictures of dogs. This is going to be rapid fire. I don't believe in guilty pleasure. I think you just have pleasures, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you get to sort of forty and just yeah. like things. That's the right answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's every time people say that to us, I'm like, that's that's actually the right answer. Yeah. We should come up with a better question. Um, do you have one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? All of America. In fact, New York City. The first time in New York City, and nice. I'm really enjoying it. I've not been here before. This is actually only my second time here, and my wife is with me. It's her first time. Actually, as we speak, she's on Fifth Avenue, probably spending right, all of our okay. savings account, <laughs> trying not to panic all day. Yeah, I haven't yeah. gotten any message from her just yet. <laughs> um, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee. I know the answer to this one, but cats or dogs? Dogs. Do you have a favorite food? Pizza. That's a good, you're in a good place for that. You're in a good place for that. Um, and then the last one, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Chris Cornell. That's a perfect answer. Uh, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? Um, that's a good one. The, um, I mean, I write like, in a dystopian genre. Um, I think what's important in, the, in that genre is to leave 
the reader with a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it's just a downer. So uh, I, I'm trying to put that into everything I write. That's perfect. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us Thank today. you. Thanks a lot. It's been great. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.